Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I am the pastor, and I want to invite you to take, if you want to write something down today, um, the verses we're looking at are in, the, are in your bulletin. There's a place there to take notes. We are in a series called Prayer That Cultivates the Soul, and we're looking at Jesus' most famous prayer. And I have seen, I think I kind of would have said this before, but I'm now, I'm so completely convinced that in this prayer, this is like the archetypal prayer. This is the prayer under which every prayer that is part of God's will finds itself. Like everything that you pray that's close to the heart of God is somewhere in this prayer, in one of the lines or one of the words of this prayer. And uh, this prayer really, it brings out the fullness of who we are. As we understand this prayer, as we pray this prayer, as we allow ourselves to be open to follow Jesus and pray this way, our souls are cultivated. More of who we are comes out. Um, and so I want to remind us, as we have each week, um, what the Bible's definition of soul is. Okay, this is the definition of soul. The soul is every bit of the non-physical part of us. So every bit of the non-physical part of us, that's our spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and psychological aspects of who we are. All of this is part of the soul that God has given you. And so if you want to grow and mature as a person, if you want to grow and mature as a Christian, uh, you want to cultivate not just your thoughts, not just what you think about God or what you think about life, but also you want to cultivate your feelings, your attitudes, your emotions, and your ambitions. Like all of the things that drive us and all of these ways are part of our soul. And Jesus knows this. Jesus understands us better than we do, and so he teaches us to pray in ways that will cultivate all these aspects of who we are. And so, in our first message that we looked at a few weeks ago, we saw who our souls want, okay? And, and what our souls want is God as perfect father and to be part of a family of people. So it's our father. Um, in the second message, we saw what our souls want, and summarize, it's, it's God's wonderful will. The wonderful will of God, his presence and his, uh, his authority in all of life. Um, and there are lots of things that we want, but God's ways are best. God's ways are best for us and for the world. Um, and it's God's ways that make our souls flourish the most. And so we looked at who our souls want, what our souls want. Now today we're going to look at what our souls need. We'll look at what our souls need. And in the rest of this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for what our souls need. He does it in a way that actually makes us into greater people. Okay? Oftentimes we are told to pray or we are told to want things that will actually make us selfish. Sometimes the things that we want, if we got them, we wouldn't be better people for having them. You know, this isn't true for everything. Sometimes there's things that we want that are wonderfully reflective of God's heart and desire for us too. But what Jesus teaches us to pray, um, he teaches us to pray for what our souls need in a way that make us more what God designed us to be. It makes us glorious people. And so let's read Matthew 6, verses 11 to 15. Jesus says there, he says, he's teaching us to pray. He says, to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's where the prayer ends, and then Jesus begins to speak. This is, the, the prayer is part of a sermon that he's giving. It's part of a message that he's preaching. It is very interesting that when he's done praying the prayer, he then goes into verses 14 and 15. It breaks my heart. There's probably about 15 minutes that I would need to explain the significance of, 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 Jesus, of verses 14 and 15 coming after the prayer. I'm not going to have time to do that today, so I'm going to tell you it's incredibly significant. And if you can figure that out, if you can talk about it amongst yourselves, then there are glorious riches to unlock in the connection between verses 13, 14, and 15. But I'm not going to be able to talk about it today, so I'm going to say it now so that you can go chase it down or you can ask me later. Um, but so Jesus goes on after the prayer and he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ooh, there's an edge on that, isn't there? Man, I thought forgiveness was free. Feels like a condition. Well, we're not going to talk about that today. Actually, we will. Don't worry. We will. We will. Okay, so. The world will tell you, advertising will tell you that actually what you need is a genie who will fulfill all your wishes. But Jesus teaches us to pray for a relationship with God where we are able to generate spiritual currency and then share it with others. What our souls need is so much more than just getting what we want. The world will tell us that we need an ATM machine with an unlimited balance. But Jesus says, no, I want to connect you to the one who will give you enough for yourself and some extra so that you can give to others. What our souls need in these verses is directly tied into the mission of God. Did you know that God is on a mission? God is actively at work. So often we are tempted to think, where the heck is he? What is he doing? Jesus teaches us what he's doing by teaching us what to ask for, what our souls need, so that we can actually do what he's doing, so that we can be what he wants the world to be. And so we need certain things so that we can participate in God's plan for the world. And that plan is... Things we've seen already in this prayer, hallowing God's name, his kingdom coming, his will being done. And we see this in several places, this dynamic that what our souls need isn't just to get what we want, but it's to become life-giving. That's what our souls need. My soul, your soul needs to know that you are giving life to others. That is a desperate need that all of us have. If you don't feel relevant or necessary, you will not thrive. In John chapter 7, verses 39 to, uh, 37 to 39, it says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And so Jesus doesn't say, if you are thirsty, I'll give you a drink of water. Jesus says that if you're thirsty, I will give you a spring that will become a river from within you 
that will fill you up and flow out of your heart and into the world. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so this is what we are to pray for. This is what our souls need. Our souls need to become life-giving to others. We need to be so full of God's life that we become life-giving. And praying in this way, it keeps us from becoming selfish, right? It keeps us focused on God and on God's mission, and it cultivates the best kind of life from our souls. And so the needs that Jesus gives us to pray, the needs that Jesus tells us our souls should pray for, make us a huge part of the answer to the first part of this prayer, right? What we've seen in the past is we want to see God's name to be hallowed. We want to see God's kingdom come and God's will to be done. What our souls need are the things that make us part of the answer to that prayer. If we pray for what Jesus says our souls need, we become people who hallow God's name. We become people who bring God's kingdom and who do God's will. And so this is directly tied in with the answer to this prayer. And so the first thing that our souls need is in the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. So that's the first thing that Jesus tells us our souls need. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And so in this, we are to pray for strength. Okay, and give us this day our daily bread. We pray for strength so that you can provide for yourself and for others. Now, this might sound a little bit strange to you because if we're praying and asking God to give us bread, then why are we the ones who have to provide for ourselves? It's a little backwards, isn't it? Um, well, this is what Jesus means. I want to prove it to you. Let me show you how the Bible helps us understand what Jesus means here. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now again, sometimes we get confused about this. I've heard people say that if God provides, you shouldn't have to do anything. Right? If you believe that God provides, you should be able to just sit around and money will come to you. Just get a check in the mail. And then they tell you a story about how they got a check in the mail, and then you feel guilty. Because you're like, how come I don't get a check in the mail? Well, it's because ordinarily, the way that God provides is through your work. Isn't that exactly what Jesus says in this passage? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. So what do the birds do? Well, we know what they don't do. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. What do they do? They go out every day and they find food. They just don't store it into barns. That's what Jesus is saying here. They go out every day and God blesses their daily work and they are fed. And parent birds feed their children birds. And so the prayer for physical bread give us this day our daily bread, is a prayer for God to bless your work. 
God provides daily bread through your hard work. And this is what the Bible teaches us. Another passage, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. God gives us strength so that we can earn what we need to eat. So just like the birds, God provides through our work. Normally, right? There are exceptions to this. There are people who can't work. There are people who have physical or mental or, you know, issues that keep them from working. And for those folks, God provides for them extraordinarily. Provides for them outside of their work. But generally speaking, God provides through our work. Normally, our work provides for our needs. <laughs> Not always our wants, but for our needs. Normally, it provides enough for us to provide for the needs of others, for our families, for our church, for our neighbors in emergencies. And so this prayer, Jesus is teaching us to pray this prayer so that we would commune with God in our work. We can bring our worries and our anxieties. We can bring our emotions about money and finances into the presence of God. We can talk to him about it. Sometimes it's really hard because you pray about it and nothing happens. Right? Sometimes you pray about it and you're still anxious. You're still frustrated. You still don't like the fact that you're not exactly sure how things are going to work out. But when you pray, God's spirit will come to you. God will minister. He'll be with you. You'll know you're not alone. Um, and so we can bring our worries and emotions about, uh, and anxiety about finances into God's presence. And then we can thank God that it's by his power that we can work. He provides for us so that we can become not, he'll just give us a drink, but he makes us to become people that have living water that flows from us into others so that we provide. So we see that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. So Jesus is teaching us to pray and to bring all of the emotions that are associated with our work life and our efforts to, to be provided for into God's presence. Well, Jesus goes on, and next, he teaches us to pray, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so in this, he teaches us to pray for grace so that you can fill the world with forgiveness. And so you see here that same dynamic. Jesus is saying, this is what your soul needs. Your soul needs God's grace so that you can participate in his mission. So you can participate in God's design to fill the world with forgiveness. So if bread feeds our bodies, forgiveness and grace feeds our souls. And God wants us both to receive forgiveness, to have assurance of his love, to know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves us and forgives us and that there's nothing that we have done or could do that would separate us from him. That he loves us because he's a good heavenly father who understands and is with us. But also so that we would become forgiving people. He wants us to know forgiveness and then to share forgiveness. And in this way, this reminds us of what we call at Harbor the fullness of the gospel. There are things that Jesus does for us that we couldn't do, like give us forgiveness, like die for our sins, like live perfectly for us so that we be accepted by God. We can't do that. Jesus does it for us. 
And that's the beginning of his work because then he also works in us because when we receive his forgiveness, when we receive God's acceptance and we know we didn't do anything to deserve this. In fact, we deserve the opposite. When we experience that forgiveness, it changes us. Christ's work, he works in us and we become different people on the inside. God's love melts our hearts and then he puts his love in us and then Christ's work flows through us to others. And so we... Our debts are forgiven so that we become forgiving people. This is a transformation of the soul that makes us more like God than anything else. Our souls are in the image of God, and in no way do we have more of an opportunity to image our God than by forgiving other people. There is no way that you and I can better image God than deciding that we are going to understand the people around us, that we are going to make incredible efforts to not make other people pay for what they've done. The idea that we would be patient with folks, that we would be long-suffering with other people, the idea that we could be hurt and yet not return that hurt with vengeance or even justice, but that we would be willing to pour love out of us onto them so that they could be free from guilt, they could be free from shame. There is no better way for us to image our Father in heaven than that. And this takes, like, this takes all of our souls to really forgive someone, like to really honestly forgive someone. We can use the words sometimes, and sometimes we do. Like, I know I'm supposed to forgive you, kind of like Mike was saying, you know, like we grin and bear it. God is faithful. He forgave you, so you got to forgive them. And so we say, I forgive you. But in our hearts, we hold on to it. In our hearts, we say, you need to pay for this somehow. This prayer stretches our souls. This prayer calls forth from us things that, frankly, we don't have and we can't have if God doesn't put it there. And how does God put it there? By inviting us into the weekly practice of confessing our own sins, by God inviting us into the daily practice of confessing our own sins, by God inviting us into the hourly practice of confessing our, do I need to keep going? <laughs> by God inviting us into the minute-by-minute minute practice of us confessing the ways that we fail to love him the way he deserves and the way that we fail to love other people. God, I can't forgive this person. It just hurts too much. God says, look, I understand how much it hurts. Like, you don't even know how much it hurts. Wait till you come next week. I can't, I mean, sneak preview trailer. What we're going to talk about next week is something I have never heard anyone ever preach about. But it is so patently clear on every page of the Bible that it's going to blow your minds. 
you think God doesn't understand. He does. He does. And, and like, so I'm not going to give anything else, get anything else away. But like next week, God, God gets it. He knows how hard it is to forgive. You think, God, you just, you, you're supposed to forgive. You know, God's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. My heart is ripped in two. My heart is ripped in two when, when my, my people sin against me, when my people like ignore me, when they do violence against me and my will, like, like that breaks my heart. I know exactly how it feels to want to rain down fire and to withhold it because I'm choosing to show love and grace and forgiveness. So, if you feel like, look, I just can't do this, that's why Jesus says we have to pray this. <laughs> like, this, is, this prayer actually has the power to change us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, forgive me, forgive us, right? This is a plural. Forgive us, our debt. So there's that community aspect. God, I, I'm one of many people who sin against you. And so even as we confess our own sins, there's this implicit piece of this where God is saying, you know what? Other people around you are also sinful. And they're not just going to sin against me, but they're going to sin against you. And so I'm preparing you to think about forgiving others. And so... Personal forgiveness is designed by God to be jet fuel to propel us toward what is impossible. It is impossible, but so is our forgiveness. Jesus tells the story of a guy who was the subject of a, of a king, and this guy owed the king, it's a parable, so he uses hyperbolic language, $10 million dollars. This guy owes the king 10 million bucks. And the king's like, pay up, time to pay. And if you don't pay, I'm going to throw you into prison until you pay, which is like, you're screwed for the rest of your life. Um, and the guy falls on his face and begs the king. He says, oh, please, 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 please just for forgive me. And the king says, okay, I'll forgive you. Can you imagine that? I mean, it would take us a few minutes to actually enter into the emotional turmoil of that guy and the, the release that he must have felt as he walked away. We're not going to do that. But, like, then this guy goes out, and he finds someone who owes him, like, $10,000. And he says, hey, time to pay, time to pay. And what does this guy do? This guy does exactly the same thing that he did to the king. He, he, he falls on his face, and he says, please, 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 please forgive me. Please, please forgive me. And the guy says, no, forget it. And he throws the guy in jail until he pays back the whole debt. Jesus said the king found out this guy did that. And he says, uh-uh. And he took the guy and threw him into jail. And Jesus says, in the same way, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. That's hard. That story has become such an integral part of my humanity and my soul. Because when anyone sins against me, 
it took a while to get to this place, but when anyone sins against me, I'm at the place now where I'm like, all right, well, let's pile this sin up against what I've done to God, and let's compare. And in my experience, over and over and over again, when I look at my sin, it's, pretty, it's like a mountain. Mount Whitney, you know, every single time that this has happened where someone has sinned against me, when I compare it to the sin I've committed against God, it's just not very high. It just can't compare. When I think about the length of time that I've sinned against God, when I think about all the ways that I have offended God, I've ignored him, I've pushed him out of my life, I've not wanted to, I mean, even as a Christian, right, I've known exactly what I'm supposed to do and I haven't done it and I haven't cared about it and I've said, God, I don't want to think about you right now until I'm ready to repent. How could I not? When God has forgiven me, how could I not forgive them? And that's the design of this prayer. This is Jesus inviting us in. And it's, it's just, it, I don't know, it's, it's, it's crazy and transformational that God would give us the most amazing blessings like forgiveness and turn it into something that isn't just for us, but it's for us, for the world. It's for us. It, it reshapes us to make us people who can give life to others. And that's the design. Now, I, I just want to make a quick, we've talked about this before, but forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Um, God requires that the person who offends him repents, like turns and confesses their sin. And if a person in your life isn't willing to confess, is still trying to hurt you or still unwilling to stop hurting you, you can build boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to let them do it again, okay? You can forgive someone, you can let them go, and then let them out of your life if that's what's required. And sometimes that is what's required, and that's not inconsistent. It's okay to forgive someone and say, I'm not going to let you do this to me again. It's actually more loving for me to keep you. It's, it's me loving you by keeping you from continuing to sin against me. And so that is part of this dynamic. I think when we see this, these requests in this prayer together, I think that what we see here is that forgiveness is directly connected to God's name being hallowed and God's kingdom coming and his will being done. I think that forgiveness received from God and then shared with others may be the main way that God's kingdom comes. It may be the main way that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we get to experience and share grace as a huge way of participating in God's mission in the world. That's exciting. All right, then the last thing our souls need is what Jesus says in verse 13, where he says, he teaches us to pray this. Pray this to God and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so in this, we are praying for leadership so that you have God in the war. You are praying for leadership so that you'd have God in the war. What do I mean by that? Well, 
our souls are here praying for God's leadership. Okay, this is what the prayer is saying. God, lead us so that we don't follow evil. Okay? Lead us so that we don't follow evil. So it's saying, God, lead us, not into temptation, right, but deliver us from evil. And so what this is doing is that this is, this is our souls rehearsing the fact that there are spiritual forces of evil in the world. There is a power of deception that leads us away from God and away from praying this prayer. And we need divine protection and divine deliverance. People get hung up on this phrase, lead us not to temptation. And it's like, well, God, why would God lead us into temptation? Why are we praying that? But there's like a, it's, it's God lead us. Not into temptation, but to follow you, okay? That's, you get, there's like a little comma there that's not, I mean, the Greek had no punctuation. So, but we're saying God lead us, just not that way, but lead us this way. And so we need God's help so that we are not led into places of temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before, the night before Jesus died, Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. So this prayer is teaching us to pray, God, spiritual warfare is real and we need your help. Okay, protect us from the paths that lead to our sins. Did you know that there's a pathway that leads you to your sins? There are sins that you commit habitually, and different people have different issues that they struggle with. Some drugs, alcohol, some sex, some pornography, some anger, some you snap with your kids, some you just like roll your eyes at your spouse, right? I mean, we all have these habitual sins that we struggle with. There's a pathway that leads to that. One of the things that was really helpful and transformative for me that was related to praying this prayer is to recognize that there are probably like four or five decisions that I make before I'm actually in the temptation that I can't get out of. Are you with me? Um, and when you look and you kind of analyze, oh, there's a, a path that I get led down into this temptation, the earlier you can identify the decisions that you make that lead you down that path, the stronger that you are to resist going down the path. There's a when, not if line for me. I don't know if you've experienced this, but there's a line after I cross. It's not if I'm going to sin, it's when I'm going to sin. Just being honest. But there are decisions I make before I cross that line where I actually have the power to resist. And this prayer, teach, like, lead me, God. I don't want the sin to lead me. I don't want to be led down this pathway into temptation. Help me identify the path that I go down and stop that direction early. And so this prayer prompts us to go deeper. Right? How am I being influenced by the evil one? How am I tempted? Where do I need to be rescued and delivered? In what ways do I feel like I'm in bondage to evil? Sometimes we lead ourselves into tempting situations. Sometimes there are people in our lives who lead us into tempting situations. And in this prayer, we're saying, God, we want you to be our leader. That's what we're saying. God, we want you to be our leader. We want you to lead us not into temptation, but into your presence 
into your arms as our loving Father. And then after we've been embraced by you and your love and your forgiveness very often, um, then we want to be led from your arms into your world to bring your kingdom and to do your will. This is so important. Um, Spiritual warfare is a war. And it's not just over your behavior. Spiritual warfare involves your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes, and your desires. Right? These are elements of our souls that are part of this warfare. And praying this prayer is another example of how praying the prayer is designed to shape us. It's designed to transform our souls. Because praying this prayer invites us to see the world the way God does. It invites us to see that the world has evil in it. There is an evil one. There is temptation that exists. We can give power in our lives. We can give ourselves over to evil to the point that we are controlled by it. The devil is a mastermind behind all that the world wars against you. So we're saying, God, protect us from that. Protect us from him. And we have to pray this. We have to pray this prayer because everything that we pray in this prayer is attacked by the evil one. The devil does not want us to believe that God is our father. The devil continually tries to convince us that God is harsh. He is a judge. He is indifferent or he's absent. The devil tempts us to think that God is not real. And in these ways, he wars against the beginning of this prayer. The evil one doesn't want God's name hallowed or God's kingdom to come or God's will to be done. The evil one wants to convince you that you should spend your life hallowing your name. Making your kingdom come. Letting your will be done. Not God's. The devil doesn't want you full of grace. He wants you to think that all that you have is because of what you've done, and you have to earn what you have, and so so do other people. The devil doesn't want you thinking that God has anything to do with your daily bread. The devil wants you to provide for yourself apart from God, because, hey, you know what? Whether you pray this or not, you're going to eat. The devil radically opposes everything in this prayer. He is good at deceiving us. And so we need to pray this part of the prayer so that we can see the war that goes on in our souls. So we can see the war that goes on in the world. And we pray this so that we become life givers. So this week, this week, what can we do? Well, I've shown you this um, in the past. Let me just show you. Here's a slide that just breaks down the Lord's Prayer into seven sections. Um, And if you wanted to pray a section of the prayer every day of this week, you could do that. Um, And so this would be one of the ways to break it down. Um, The themes that we've seen in these sections, um, these are things that you can pray about. So let me go to the next slide. This is another way to look at this breakdown of the prayers. And so today, you can pray the Our Father. And in this, pray about your identity as a child of God and pray about the fact that you're part of God's community. 
tomorrow you can pray in heaven and spend a few minutes praying about aiming for God's infinite perspective, right? Tuesday, you can pray, hallowed be your name. And in this, you can focus your time with God on worship, that God is holy, he is separate, he is good in all of his ways, right? He's worth our lives, our decisions, our thoughts, our money. Um, Wednesday, you can pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and focus on God's mission, that God's desire is to fill the world with life givers, Thursday, give us this day our daily bread. You can pray about strength, the strength that you need from God. You can pray about your work. You can pray about providing. You can pray about the ways that God provides for you. Friday, forgive us as we forgive and rehearse God's grace. You might not want to wait till Friday to do this one, but you know. And then Saturday, you can pray, lead us and deliver us from evil. Um, and in this, again, you're rehearsing the warfare. If you pray these ways, you will become good and better at it as you practice. More of your life will connect to more of these things um, as you walk in this. And so I want to encourage you to do this, remembering that God wants to answer this prayer, not just for you, but through you into the world. Um, I've said this, I think it's been a while since I've said this, but like when we pray for God to bless us, um, I pray, God, please give me cheesecake. Because, you know, to me, cheesecake is one of the epitome, the, uh, is there a, a, a epitomical? It's one of the ways that God epitomizes his blessings in my life. And so when I pray, God, please give me cheesecake, God doesn't just give me a piece. God gives me a whole cheesecake. Because this is how God is. Now, does God want me to sit down with the whole cheesecake and a fork? No, he doesn't. I mean, I've tried that before, and it, it's, it's great in the moment, but like a lot of other things that when you do to excess, the good becomes not good. Um, when God gives me the cheesecake, he gives me, he does give me a fork, but he actually gives me a bunch of forks and a knife. Um, he gives me enough so that I have what I want, and I have enough to share with others. And that's how this prayer works. Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to give you what your souls need for you so that through you it can reach the people around you. So let's pray this this week and let's be this this week. Pray with me.